Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Now, you might hear a bit of background noise and that's because we're actually uh, in the car on the way back from an interview. So we've just interviewed John Chalice, also known as Boise. Uh, We wanted to bring you different flavors, different types of people that we interview. Uh, And um, I've got Beth in the car and Harry in the car. Harry, say hi. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. Um, uh, so before we go into this episode, which is something completely different, um, Beth was asking me on a live feed just as I was preparing to interview John, um, how do you prepare for an interview, what are your interview techniques, have you got better, and you know, what have you learned from being an interviewer, and we actually all thought this might be a good podcast episode, so if this is live then this test worked, and if not then it was clearly shit, and we didn't, pu- <laughs> didn't publish it, um, but I'll let you be the judge of that. Uh, so, yeah, Beth, what did you think about John? Uh, I thought he was very down to earth. I've, I've not actually watched Only Fools and Horses. I'm a bit of a... You're too young. Yeah, a bit young to watch it. But no, he was um, a genuinely nice guy and just really warm and friendly. So. Okay, great. Harry, what did you think of John? I really like John. Um, a lot of his uh, natural personality you can find in Boise. I think of Boise and John, there's a lot of characteristics that both of them share. He's a lovely gentleman. Okay, so that episode's coming next week, uh, give or take, so keep an eye out for that. It's very different, and actually, um, there's some real moments of gold in there. He told a few stories, um, and of course some fun stories, but also he told a story um, when I asked him, what's the best advice you've ever given, be ever been given? Um, and he told a really great story of um, someone who gave him some advice, uh, and it was, well, that was quite a good a special moment, I think, in our podcast, the way he told that story. Because, you know, work hard, hustle, you know, get up early. You know, this is normal things that people say. But uh, his answer there was very different. Um, and I, I asked him about the commercial side um, of being an actor. And he answered in a way I didn't expect. Um, and I also think that you can learn a lot from um, John because he never took himself too seriously. He never worried that he wouldn't be able to be an actor or he wouldn't be able to get work. He just enjoyed himself and work seemed to find him. And I think in the world today, we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, everything's got to be perfect. This is our one big chance. Come on, we can do this. You've got this. Mustn't mess it up. If I mess it up, I'll never get a chance again. Um, and that, John was like the opposite of that. And I've been thinking about that a lot recently. With my book that's coming out uh, fairly soon called Start Now, Get Perfect Later, um, I talk about the paradox of big decisions. The bigger you make a big decision, the often the worse decision you make. So you almost have to act with big decisions like it's just a normal decision. Um, you know, you could put your pressure on yourself for sports or results or things like that, um, which actually make you more tense and get a lesser result. So he really, um, I think, embodied that. So I think you'll enjoy the podcast. Anyway, let's get on with this episode and what it's all about. Yes, I'm waffling, aren't I, Beth? You're smiling away there. Beth prepared like 11 questions for me um, about uh, interviewing people. And really, I suppose, what we're doing here in the car 
is like we're on the way back from a podcast interview. We wanted to give you a bit of behind the scenes. I'm certainly going to be talking more and more and more about the podcasting journey and world and my experiences as a podcaster because, you know, you know me for my businesses. But this podcasting thing is taking off. It's a big thing in a big way. And I love doing it. Um, actually, I've maybe agreed to do a road trip in America early next year where we're going to hire a... Um, you know, a massive, what do they call them, RV, mobile home things, and drive across America and interview a load of our American friends. Um, Harry, I don't know if you're up for that. Uh, yeah. um, take Harry and Tom with me and do a road trip. Um, so, yeah, we've got exciting stuff coming. Anyway, Beth, you, do you want to? That's all right. Well, yeah. You can hold it. Oh, okay. Oh, I can hold the mic. Yeah. I feel privileged. <laughs> um, yeah, like you said, like, we've just interviewed Boise for the podcast, which, as you said, was a very different type of guest. Um, how do you even find your guests? What, what inspires you to find these people? Okay, so I'll tell you how it is, rather than, you know, what, um, what might you want to publicly say is, is the right answer. So, of course, the right answer is, um, you know, I find guests that I would be really interested in myself. Uh, I find guests that my community request for me, and that I do both of those. But sometimes guests I really want, I can't get, because, you know, I'm no A-lister. Um, and, you know, so there's sort of certain amount of attrition as well. So some guests I find because I, I would love to meet them myself. So I'm kind of meeting a selfish need. Other guests are, you know, will go out to very successful people. Um, it's obviously disruptive entrepreneurs. So that'll be another way that we'll try and get guests. I'd say maybe 10. Uh, I've had a contact through someone. Uh, and when you know someone and they introduce you to the podcast, that's often much easier to find the guest. Um, sometimes I'll watch a Netflix documentary or, or read or listen to an autobiography and I just love the person. But I didn't know I would. Uh, and it's not my normal style. And I like going for those. Now, in the early days, I, kept, I felt a lot of pressure to have only disruptive entrepreneurs. And so I probably wouldn't have interviewed someone like John Chalice maybe a year and a half ago because I would have worried that my listeners would be like, well, he's not a disruptive entrepreneur. But actually, you know, like when you've heard me interview 50 disruptive entrepreneurs, you might want something a bit different. So now what I try and do to find my guess is go to left field people. David Icke was very left field. Jake Wood, you know, one of the main guys from EastEnders was left field, i.e. you wouldn't think about having them on a podcast. And I will sometimes reach out to them or reach out to someone that knows them, or sometimes just straight direct message on Instagram or Twitter or, or Facebook. Um, I've got an agent, um, a researcher, you know, like, don't say his name, you know who he is though, I don't want anyone to nick him. Um, and I've had him for about 11 years. And I don't really know what you call him because he does outsourcing, social media, he's, he's our agent, he does all sorts, he's like got so many skills. And about 11 years ago, he used to phone Mark and I up all the time. Rob, give me this information. Rob, give me that information. I'd pass him off to Mark. I'm like, he's, he's kind of bled me dry now. He hasn't paid us any money. And uh, then he'd do the same with Mark. And then when Mark would like not answer the phone anymore to him, he'd um, phone on a different number. Then he'd put on a different accent. And Mark would go, that's you, isn't it? And he'd be like, no, 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 no. And then hang up and find another way. Um, and he was just so good at getting back and getting information out of us and getting us to respond to emails and calls and texts. And I sat down with Mark and I said, mate, we've either got to get a restraining order on this guy or we've got to hire him. So we hired him. 
and he's been working with us, like I said, for about 11 years. He's got a very uh, unique set of circumstances. I was going to say a very unique set of skills. <laughs> he's got that as well. But he's got a unique set of circumstances, which means his role for us, he can do totally from home. And it really works for him with the other things he's got going on. Otherwise, I'd have him in the office straight away. So he'll, it's quite funny because um, uh, Suzanne Shaw, who's from Hearsay, who I've got to know really well, she read my book. He was talking to her on Twitter as if it was me. Um, and I randomly bumped into her at Kevin Clifton's um, Strictly after party. Uh, and she was talking to me like she knew me. And she was in like one of the biggest bands in the world. And as it turns out, he was talking to her as if it was me. So he manages my Twitter account, my Instagram account. So he goes and gets a lot of guests as well. I know this is a really long-winded answer, but um, you know, I thought it was useful to say it. So sometimes he'll find a guest for me that he likes. Um, so there's a, a, like a four-time um, bodybuilding world champion that he really wants me to interview. And I'm like, but I've already interviewed Dorian Yates. And he said, well, look, this guy's big. He's big, big, big. You've got to get him. And so sometimes I go for a guest because he wants me to get a guest. Sometimes because we've just bagged someone big, like John McAfee, who we've got. I mean, he's got 800,000 followers on Twitter. Yanni, who's got more than a million on Instagram. Now, with Yanni, I had a car wrap with him. And, uh, you know, so that was a bit different. So the long... That was the long answer. The short answer is any which way I can get a guest that both you'd, A, is a big name that you'd want to have on something like this, B, is an unknown that you'd want to have on something like this, and then C, is something that people hadn't thought of, and then B, I sometimes take a chance and interview someone that I'm even not sure is the right fit. Because if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. <laughs> All right, so... Brilliant. So you were saying there sometimes, like more so now, that you find guests that you want to speak to and that you want to interview. Um, sorry, <laughs> that you want to interview. So how how do you contain your like your nerves? Are you nervous when you meet these people? How do you prepare? Yeah. So the more I am a fanboy of them, like um, Francois Benamy as the CEO of Audemars Piguet, you know, it's my favourite watch brand. The more I'm a total fanboy, the more nervous I get. Um, and yeah, I do get nervous and, um, I'm okay saying that because I actually get nervous when I meet anyone new. Uh, I, I find those, you know, awkward pauses, like double awkward. And so sometimes I'll just talk through it all in sort of slightly nervous manner. And if you listen to my interviewing in the early days, you can hear me sometimes slightly talking over people or, or talking a bit too much or talking through or talking fast. And that's nerves. Um, you know, big names like Dorian Yates, um, David Icke, you know, like we went all the way to, um, what was the, what's the island he lives on, Harry? Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight, that's it. Um, you know, we went all the way over there and did a full trip of it. And, you, you know, you don't know what these people are going to be like. Um, like, I want them to like me, which is a bit of a weakness of mine, but I want them to like me. So I don't want to go over there and then just think I'm a bit of a, a twat. Um, so I get nervous about that. I, they've given me their time. All but one of our guests, they don't, they've never been paid. All but one. Um, and I, I, one I paid was because I'm like the biggest fanboy ever. Uh, and on a separate note uh, about fanboys, John Barnes, one of my old, all-time heroes. So I was nervous meeting him. But sometimes the guests make you feel really comfortable. Like he was just so relaxed and laid back. Aston was brilliant. Aston, you know, from JLS, it was just like, it was just so natural. So I get nervous. Uh, I try and just be normal and me. I try and remember that whilst I look up to them, 
a lot of them look up to me with what I've done in the podcasting world and when they know what I've done in the business and authoring books because sometimes I'm just looking up at them all the time and forget that because I sometimes just think, feel like this little fanboy on, on a little chair looking at you know my, what, some of my heroes but I think it's good to be a bit nervous because it makes you prepare well um, uh, you know and it, it, I also don't want to catch them out I don't want to ask them stuff that, they, that a journalist would answer or they feel like they're going to be tricked um, and that sort of adds to my to my nerves. I want to ask questions that they like answering. Brilliant. Do you think that's come down to you being interviewed as well yourself? Then, like you said, people do look up to you. You've had lots of interviews as well. Lots and lots. Lots no, and no, lots. No, no, no. <laughs> lots and lots. Um, has that affected like how you interview others? Yeah, a lot. Now, um, I've learned along the way about interviewing by not doing very good interviews. And not the, the guests are great. But, you know, like I remember after the Doreen Yates one, I came out and then I just thought, oh, I didn't do the best job. And I even cringe a bit to this day. Now, that's me beating myself up because, he's, you know, what he said was really good and he was good. It's a couple of times where I'm talking over him. Um, and, yeah, so, like, sometimes I, oh, I kick myself a bit. I, I know if I did that now, I'd be a lot better. But I think I've been interviewed enough now to now really know what it's like being in their shoes. So, for example... If someone doesn't ask a clear question or there's a load of preamble before a question or there's a sort of a question and a load of post-ramble, that's really hard for you to answer as the guest. So I try and make the question very clear and very short. If I've got something to add, I'll wait for them to answer and then I'll add my bit in after before the next question because this leads me on to the next point. You know, people don't want to listen to me on the interviews. They want to listen to the guest. They get enough of me on the other episodes. And an interview is not about the interviewer. It's about the interviewee. And I've, I've been interviewed by many people. And, and I've certainly listened to a lot of podcasts where for the, it's all about the interviewer. is making it all about the interviewer, not the interviewee. But, you know, the guest is the most important person. For years, people have been asking me where I buy my watches. Many of you may know I'm a watch collector. I'm a watch investor. And those as an asset class have done me very well in the last 15 years. I have never shared where I source my watches from or my watch dealer until now. My watch dealer used to be a professional footballer for Manchester United and he formed a watch brand called Broadwalk and he sources the higher end brands like Rolex, Audemars Piguet, Patek Philippe and Richard Mille. I trust him, I've used him for many years and recently we've done a partnership. Hence I'm inviting you if you want to start investing in watches and protect your money from the banks and inflation to check out Broadwalk. That's B-R-O-A-D-W-A-L-K. And the website is broadwalkgroup.com. The email is sales at broadwalkgroup.com. And please don't share this, but his number is 07496 878153. Obviously, only message him if you're serious about buying and investing in the higher-end watches. People have been asking me for years, and for the first time ever, you can get access to my watch team. try and draw out all their stories, experiences, their, their golden nuggets, the stuff that uh, it's really important for me that I ask questions that they don't go and get asked and therefore answer on the podcast circuit um, or on the interview circuit. I don't want someone to go on YouTube and be able to find all the questions that I ask my guests. So I always try and make them really different. 
So that's another thing, you know, like I don't mind us answering the same stuff over and over and over. I don't because if I want to get my brand out there and everything, but it is kind of cool when you get asked a question that you've never been asked before. You bring, whoa, that's a good question. That threw me a bit. And I like that. And I think as long as it's not something that's trying to catch someone out, I assume my guests would like that. So asking good, interesting questions is really important. This is not easy to do and I'm still working at it, but like, you, you're not going to remember the questions in your head probably um, because you know there might be 10 or 15 of them so you do need an iPad or a piece of paper but as soon as you start reading that you'll break you'll have a micro break of rapport um, Harry you were telling me weren't you that when I was reading the questions and I don't do I hardly read them now I just have a quick glance that um, John was having a bit of fun looking into the camera winking smirking so there clearly were some little bits where I was looking at the questions and he was interacting with the camera I want there to be minimum of those because the more of that there is, it looks like I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, like, yes, they're doing an interview and they're a professional, but, you know, they want to be listened to. And I'm the listener because the listeners, you know, the all the millions of subscribers of the podcast aren't in the room. So I've got to have good rapport, which means I've got to look at him, be engaged with him, um, which often, you know, sometimes when I'm being interviewed and then people just sort of, you know, they ask a question, then they just sort of look away and read the next one as if I and it feels weird answering it. So, yeah, I'd say they're the main ones. Some others may come up in your other questions. That actually leads me on to the next bit of what would some of your top do's be for when you're interviewing people on a podcast or on another medium? Okay. So, what most people would say is a top do, which I'm going to say do but sometimes don't, is research your guest. So, with my podcast, I'm always trying to follow my systems but surprise myself surprise my guests and surprise my listeners so 50 percent of the time i don't need to research these people because i'm a massive fan but i am going to research good new questions and research questions they always get asked so i don't ask ask them those so make you know doing your research and knowing about them because sometimes i'll interview someone who's great and i intentionally don't want to know much about them because i want to go for a left field guest or someone i'm not that interested or haven't been interested in before um, and in those circumstances, I'll do the opposite, which is I won't do any research. Because the good thing about that is you can ask questions which elicit the answers that a lot of people don't necessarily know about them because I, you know, I don't know much about them, so I'm not making assumptions. And you don't know what all the common questions are that they get asked. Um, and you get them to explain some things more that you wouldn't normally. Uh, so research, uh, don't have too many questions. I like to have five to seven main questions. Now, when I interviewed David Icke, we were an hour in and I hadn't even got the first question done because he just started talking about freedom of speech. Now, if I'd been hell-bent on getting my 17 questions answered, I wouldn't have been a good interviewer because there would have been a clash there. We probably only did three questions with David Icke. Um, so I'll have some because other guests, like when I interviewed Nicole Arbour, you know, the first sort of six or seven questions, because she's in Canada, I'm in England, there's the Skype, you know, we don't know each other that well. I ask, she sort of answers quite concisely. I ask, she answers quite concisely. And we're sort of building it up. And then when she feels comfortable um, with me, or my questions get, you know, more deep, then she might go off on tangents and, and go deeper in. So I have a framework of a few questions, but I don't, I, I like with um, John, I asked him before the interview, what don't you want to talk about? And he mentioned one little thing. So there's two questions I didn't ask. So I don't have to ask them all. Um, 
I'll have um, what we you, you'll know listening as a podcast listener. I now have the, the quick fire round, if you like. Now, the great thing about the quick fire is when you sense in the interview that you need to start wrapping up, and actually, we, we, if you listen to John's episode next week, he sort of looked, looked at his watch and sort of like, oh, what's the time? And as it turned out, he was fine. But in that moment, I thought, oh, he needs to go. So I had my quick fire questions that I could pivot into. And it just, um, sometimes when you interview, you get these lulls, you get these energy holes. You can sense when it's, okay, you know, because for some guests, it's, that's 30 minutes. For some, for some, it's an hour and a half where, like, the energy goes. And you think, oh, we should start wrapping this up now. And so then you go and pivot into those quick fire questions. Uh, and then it gives it a bit of dynamism and speed towards the end. And I want most of my questions to be unique. But those quick fire questions, they can be the same. And I think people do like some of the questions to be exactly the same because you compare the guests against each other and say, well, oh, OK, so um, you know, this guest answered this question this way. Like with disruptive, someone will say, oh, disruptive is being intentionally annoying. And other people will say disruptive is absolutely vital to grow in business. And it's nice to have those. I don't mind having con con contrarian or views that seem to contradict each other. I'm OK with that because uh, life is a contradiction. Um, yeah, so maybe I've got more to come. Brilliant. So you mentioned there about personalising the questions to your guests. Has that evolved with your interview style, like as you've been interviewed more? Yeah, it has. Now, I, I see everything as a test, which means I'm going to try something, and if it, go, if it works, I'll keep it, and if it goes, I won't. So I'm okay with this. But there was one question, and I think I probably heard it first on Tim Ferriss' show or somewhere like that, you know, I was listened to most of Tim's podcasts over the years. And that question that everybody asks is, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? And I'm sure Tim got that off someone. And I used that a couple of times. And I thought, you know what? That question is used by so many people. I want to reject that and not ask that. Because, you know, like podcasts are a growing media. Um, and, you know, probably many of my listeners also listen to five or six other podcasts. In three years, there's going to be millions of podcasts, millions and millions and millions. So what makes mine or yours, if you're listening and you want to have a podcast one day, or if you're ever going to interview anyone, what makes yours unique, uh, different to the A and others? Uh, you know, and that's important. And actually, while we're talking about this, you know, like I did sort of think about whether I should do this kind of episode. But because how relevant is it to everyone? And obviously, if you're still listening, you're probably finding it useful. But interviewing great people is something you want to do in your life. Who wouldn't want to do that? Like if you could get to interview the person you admire the most in life, whether it's a musician, an artist, a, you know, or a business person, I'm sure you would. If Harry could interview the best director in the world that he admires, he's not going to go, nah, I'm not going to do that. And he's actually going to go, yeah, this podcast I listen to with some interview skills. It's so, so doing um, YouTube videos, doing social media, being in your business, building your brand, brand associations, brand ambassadorial roles. You know, you, you're going to want to meet interesting people when you're doing joint ventures and raising finance and business partnerships. You're going to be interviewing them in a different way. So actually, I think that the, the ability to interview and, and rolling it into your business and your life is not just for people like me. It's for anyone and everyone. What's the question again, Ben? I went on a tangent there. No, that's all right. That's People right. are probably enjoying the rest on their eardrums. I think it's about making the questions personal to yes. your guests. Yes. So I try not to use rehashed questions anymore. I try and test questions which I think are interesting. Uh, and then 
Um, I'll keep the ones that are, and I'll drop the ones that aren't. Uh, I try and have some commercial type questions, i.e. about business and making money, and being an entrepreneur, and then some non-commercial questions about art, creativity, passion. And, and, and I, did, I only asked John one commercial question, because uh, I didn't think it would, you know, like I, I can ask a billionaire more commercial questions. But we did talk a lot about an artist getting their art out there. And I, anyone who's listening, I, you're an artist. Whatever you love to do, that is your art. Um, so we did talk a lot about the non-commercial side. So some commercial, some non-commercial. Yeah, and so I, I, I do do a lot of research on the questions, yeah. Brilliant. I know you went on a tangent there, but I would like to go back to it, actually. Um, you said about podcasts and how quickly they're growing and how they're going to be huge. I mean, what is it about podcasts that people love to listen to? Uh, well, I think the main reason why podcasts are huge are, is because they're the most convenient, easily accessible, personal media that there is. So obviously YouTube is and has been massive, but what podcast has over and above it, essentially podcast is the same as YouTube, but on audio, give with a few tweaks. But with a podcast, you can listen to it in the car, in the gym, running, walking, flying in your helicopter, being flown in an airplane, anywhere you can listen. No, you shouldn't listen to podcasts flying in the helicopter if you're the pilot. Um, my business partner's flying to basically the, the north of Africa as we speak, and I'm nervous for him. Um, we used to do this big, long route. To, anyway, I digress somewhat. <laughs> um, so that's, like, audio is having a massive, I wouldn't say boom, and I wouldn't say renaissance. It's not new, but podcasts have been going 15 years. So it's a bit of a, a, a second wind. Um, but also, Alexa, Siri, you know, like, people are using voice now, voice search. Uh, you know, my kids can work Siri now, uh, uh, and, and they can work Alexa on the, you know, Alexa speaker. And, you know, you know, it's so much more convenient than to just say, hey, Siri, tell me the weather, weather for the next week. You know, hey, Alexa, let me listen to Rob uh, Moore's Disruptor Entrepreneur podcast. I need to get your phone out and type it in. And because this is all working with home automation. So I have my home fully automated. And you can walk into a room and say, turn on the lights, play this, play that. And it sounds a bit like, you know, an, an opulence now. But in 10 years, that's what we're all going to be doing. So that's one reason why podcasts are big. The next thing is, it's the closest you get to listening to the author without meeting them. Of course, I make a big effort to try and get people behind the scenes, like a, an, you know, an episode like this, um, because you know I want to have a close relationship with my listeners. Um, I don't want them to be cold. That's why we don't really edit much. We keep in all the mistakes, um, you know, and the, and the bloopers and, and anything like that, because if you edit it all out, yeah, it's, it's slicker, it's quicker, it's probably more professional, but it's less warm. And I know the podcasts I love the most are the ones where I feel like I know the um, host the most. You know, the DJ, the um, podcast, um, the author of the podcast. Um, and so it's the most intimate medium in that regard. Yes, you get, it's quite, you know, video is obviously more um, intimate than written. But there's still that wall there. and People are still acting. But, you know, many conversational podcasts, you know, like Joe Rogan's or, or many others like that, Adam Buxton's. They're really conversational. You know, I love Radiohead, and Adam Buxton has had Johnny Greenwood on a couple of times. So if you're listening to Adam or Johnny, I'd love to have Johnny and Adam on my podcast. Um, but, you know, like they're walking around France uh, the, the day that Johnny has a gig. They're just walking around France chatting, 
getting on well about this and that, and occasionally some people interrupt and, oh, Johnny, will you sign an autograph? And, oh, Johnny, I love your work, and he's all very polite about it. And so you really get to know Johnny there because you see him in real life that he's shy, that he doesn't really like the attention, whereas if it was a scripted, edited video interview with none other than Radiohead's lead guitarist, you know, Johnny Greenwood, you wouldn't really know Johnny. Um, and, and I think that's what people want. You know, like with the media that twist everything, you know, and with politics and, you know, the, the, the money that funds politics, where we've had all this you know, fake news and everything else. People want truth, you know, and, um, and you get that, not with all podcasts, but, but with a lot of podcasts. Um, and also, uh, if you listen to radio, so I was on um, Steve Rush Radio 2 show when my book Life Flourish came out, and that in the UK is about one of the biggest shows. You know, you get millions of listeners. And so I'm on, let's say, it was between like one o'clock and four o'clock. And so I, I tell my community about that, or they do a little ad before, hey, you know, this, this author of Life Leverage, we're going to talk about this. You don't know when I'm on between one and four. And so if I'm on between one and four, I'm normally on at four. And you've got a list of a load of stuff that's not that and a load of ads. Whereas a podcast, you can put it on two times speed and you can press the 15 second skip button and skip forward and skip back and listen and re-listen on demand. Whereas you can't listen to radio on demand. So I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be the biggest new media. You know, and I'm, I became a millionaire between the age of 30 and 31 through property. And I thought that's all I'd do. And then we built a property training business. And you know, we started doing tens of millions a year in that. And, I, and so, you know, I say that humbly. And the reason I'm saying that is because I thought, well, I never thought I'd be a podcaster. I never thought that would be something I enjoy doing more. And I put in higher priority than things that make me millions of pounds. But that's how big it's got. And exciting for me and anyone listening, if you want to start your own podcast, we're at the right point in the curve. Because if I said to you, hey, Beth, you should get into email now, you know, because it's big. <laughs> or, you know, you should get into Facebook now because it's big. You know, I'm not saying they're dead. They're not dead. They're with us. But, you know, the, the big growth, the exponential growth that we all want to get in, you know, that's happened with Facebook and YouTube and email. But it's not happened yet with podcasts. Brilliant. Um, just going back there, you said about the media and how they edit things to look a certain way and things like that. But I remember your David Icke podcast episode. I mean, you aired that completely. You didn't you didn't trim it. You didn't take bits out. You no. just let the man speak about yeah. what you want to speak about. And I thought that was a really important thing. Um, do you think your guests are liking that more about podcasts, that their voice is getting heard how they want? Yes. I think that there's journalists and a million interviews they've all done where they've been misrepresented, edited, things they wanted in were taken out and things that maybe they didn't want left in were still in or things were twisted. Now, I'm not an A-list celebrity, but, you know, I've had my taste of media. I was, I've been in a lot of the tabloids, uh, like when I crashed my Ferrari into News International Building, which is owned by The Sun. Um, and I've had, you know, and I've seen how they've twisted what I've said. I remember in, um, when I crashed my Ferrari into News International, um, within like an hour and a half, all the reporters were banging on the office door. Um, and I actually didn't want to do it. And I said to Mark and Catherine, my business partner and MD, should I do this? And they were like, oh, yeah, do it, you know. Uh, and they sat down, hi, Rob, how you doing? And I blah, blah, blah. oh, you're a nice car. Well, what other cars you got? And I told blah, 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 blah. And then the headline came out. Um, Millionaire crashes Ferrari, but doesn't matter because his other car is a Porsche. So they're clearly trying to make me look like a dick. I didn't say anything like that. That's just how they wrote it. Now, I wasn't bothered. I knew what was going to happen. And, you know, and I, I see you know, the, the, the funny side in that, and I'm still alive and everything else. But So, yeah, I think I always say to my guests, one is, um, if it's okay with you, we don't edit the show. Um, we want you to come across as you are. But if you want anything taken out, just let us know. And that makes them feel comfortable. 
and anything you can do to make them feel comfortable before you interview them, you know, they'll really benefit. Um, and it'll, and it'll, it'll end up just feeding back into the quality of the interview. Now, with David Icke, it was long. It was like three hours. And so there's an argument there for editing it down because it's long. And also, you know, maybe some stuff that if you were an editor, you would think, okay, that's not as relevant. Some tangential stuff or some repetition. But, you know, David Icke was talking about the freedom of speech for the first hour. For then for us to go and edit that podcast is a bit hypocritical of us. I want people who listen to the podcast to hear everything, including my mess-ups, including my vulnerabilities, including silly things I say and do. Um, the podcast we just did, a massive blue bottle. I'm saying a massive blue bottle because I said a fly on it. But a massive blue bottle crawled up my leg. And I sort of, um, yeah, I, that weirded me out a bit. And, um, and you know, and, and, and any mistakes I make or anything, they stay in the podcast. Because also then you know that other stuff isn't getting edited out. Now, I get that there are some more slick, you know, like, I don't know, clean, crisp, short podcasts, um, but that's just not our style. And I respect people who do that style, and I learn from that style too. It's just not what I want to do. Um, I want people to feel comfortable, unedited, real, and raw. And that's from the interviewer and me and the, and the listener. Brilliant. So do you have anyone exciting them planned for this unedited, interesting, exciting <laughs> podcast? Uh, yes. So there's one person who's probably the biggest name in the whole world. Uh, and honestly, if I said this person's name, I think they are the most, one of the most, if not the most famous person in the world. But that isn't confirmed we're talking to them. I'm not saying the name because I've done that before. Um, and once uh, where we've had it where the guest didn't, we didn't end up interviewing the guest. So that would, but, but when this person, if they agree to this podcast, you'll know who they are will instantly know that's who Rob was talking about. If you want to go in our, so in our disruptive entre entrepreneur community and guess, you're more than welcome. Um, but yeah, uh, I've, uh, we've agreed with Jordan Peterson, um, who I think is a man of the moment. He's a very smart guy. I've studied a lot of his work. I admire what he does. Um, I've listened to his books. He's huge at the moment. He's everywhere. But a lot, it's funnily, a lot of my listeners have not heard of him, so I'm very excited uh, about that. We're planning this um, possible road trip across America. So um, we've got uh, Gary Vaynerchuk agreed, um, but we haven't been able to set a date for that um, because he's in America and I'm in England. And I don't really want to do that on Skype. Um, we have, uh, have Richard Branson agreed, but that's been agreed for months and months and months. So, you know, like they've agreed it and I think that they'll honor that. Um, but, you know, like that could be a long way away or it might be soon, who knows? Um, I've got a lot of outstanding requests. I've got the co-founders of probably my second or third favorite watch brand. Um, they're not very well known. They make watches from sort of 20 grand up to, you know, millions of pounds. Uh, we've just got that agreed today. So we're flying out to Switzerland to do that. It's a hard life, Beth. Um, and we've got in the pipeline probably about 30 really great people. Um, but they're, they're in discussions. I don't really want to talk about it, and, and, you know, unless it's agreed. Uh, but this road trip, I think, will get a lot of big American um, guests agreed. Now, I've really wanted to make sure that we have a lot of English guests. Um, so to all my English and non-American guests, I wanted to hat tip to you. And all to all my American listeners, um, I want, you know, they can, they can hear all the same people on the same podcasts. So a lot of English guests that my American listeners may not know about. Um, but 
we're going to break America, as Craig David would say, if you're old enough to, to remember, we're going to break America. So um, Tom and Harry don't know about this plan, but I'm going to line it up. And at some point, we're going to get an RV and we're going to take a trip across America. And when we're there, it'll be so much easier to get the guests agreed. Um, and I think when we make the story, I'll, I'll ask Harry if he wants to make a little film of it and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, like, yeah, the with nail and I on the road <laughs> of uh, podcasting. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited about all of that. And um, what's the, the great thing about this, Beth, is um, I, I, I like, for, 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 sometimes you'll go like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and you'll either get nothing or you'll get rejections. So I've been rejected by um, Ronnie Sullivan a few times. It's probably not him, it's probably his agency. Um, we've not got through to Damien Hurst. Uh, we've not got um, much back from Vivian Westwood. And they're three people I would absolutely love to interview. Um, uh, loads of people that we've either got not back to or heard nothing from. And you, you'll go weeks and weeks and weeks. And then one day you'll just, you'll just get an email from my guy and he'll be like, oh, we've just got X agreed. I'm like, get in. And they can kind of surprise you. Um, I guess like um, chocolate that you hid in the house and didn't know you had and found. Um, but, you know, like I have to take a lot of rejection. I want people to know that, you know, like I am now able to pull on contacts and resources and I'm fortunate enough to know some very famous people and good celebrities are well connected. But that's only very recently. Uh, and I run a podcast course a couple of times a year. I think I'm the only one in the, the guy in the UK to run a, a masterclass podcast course and an online podcast support group and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people think, oh, well, it must be easy for you to rob, rob to get the guests. But, you know, I'm not Joe Rogan. It's easy for him um, because everyone wants to be on the Joe Rogan's show because it's massive. Joe, if you're listening, um, either way, you on me, me on yours, you know, like. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, in the start, I got lucky a couple of times. I, we reached out to some people that are punching way above our weight, but we got them. Um, and a couple of times we just kept persisting. And I think that's a good analogy for life in general. Um, I get nervous about asking people to do things. I don't want them to reject me, but my, I always hear my dad ringing in my ears. Rob, if you don't risk it, no, that's my quote. Um, uh, if you don't ask, you don't get. See, I can't even do my own quotes probably. If you don't ask, you don't get. Um, so yeah, anyone you want to meet, anyone you want to interview, anyone you want to have lunch with, buy them a lunch, whatever, just ask them. And in the, the world of social media today, people do, I know most people don't think they do, but people read their messages. You know, they go on their own social media. Yanni's got a million followers on YouTube. He goes on all of his own social media. He's really active, which I really, you know, respect. I also appreciate if people have got 10 million followers, they can't do themselves. Um, and also, like with Seth Godin, we got rejected a couple of times first. Um, usually, uh, we probably did with John McAfee. So I prefer a rejection to nothing. Because nothing usually means you're just bouncing off a brick wall. But a rejection means, ah, okay, we're, 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 you're on our radar now. Um, and so then they might start seeing it. Because, you know, like, um, you don't notice a car, but then you buy that car, and then you notice that, all that car, on, that, all those cars on the road. So if people are seeing you even in their inbox, even if they're deleting it, or, you know, they're not replying, they see it, and then they see you more. Um, so, you know, like a lot of the guests I've had on my podcast um, that I look up to listen to my podcast or knew me from my podcast. And that probably started because one day we reached out and they said no, and then they were aware of what we did. Brilliant. Well, how do you see your podcast evolving then? So you've already said it's evolved a bit. You don't just interview entrepreneurs now. You're branching out a little bit. And with the more and more high-profile guests that you're getting, where, where do you see the podcast going? 
So I don't want to uh, typecast myself. I have considered just dropping the word entrepreneur and calling it disruptors so I can go to a, a much wider market. Sometimes I think that people wouldn't want to be on a podcast that has the word entrepreneur in it. But actually, uh, um, every time I ask focus groups or my communities about that, they completely uh, dissuade me from that. Um, so what I want to do is give you the guests that give you all the information that you need to be a disruptive entrepreneur and then surprise you every now and again. Um, one of the reasons I don't just do interviews is because I can maintain the quality. If I had to do an interview every week, that would have been 270 interviews. And what have we done, Harry, do you reckon? Do you reckon we've done 100 interviews, 80? Okay, so Harry reckons 70 or 80. Now, if we'd have had to have done all interviews, 270, we'd have had to sacrifice the quality of our guest, and you'd have been having my Aunt Mary, my third cousin, random person off the street, purely because it's just the volume of guests, even with big, even with big guest podcasts, a lot of people just won't do podcasts. So obviously you get a lot of me and my content in the middle, and that'll always be about business, disruption, entrepreneurship, innovation. I, I, I guess what I really want to help people do is create a better life but also not forget the money part and the business part. Um, so, yeah, I'll just keep evolving the guests. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've probably got a hit list of about 800 people that we're after. Um, and then as I meet people and they can introduce me to others, um, I've got a couple of my guests who are introducing me to people at the moment. Um, and I want to keep making sure that you know that with the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast, it's never going to stay the same. And as soon as you might get to be familiar with it or maybe even start to get a bit bored of it I'll change it up um, and I think that that's really important I need that for myself otherwise I never would have kept doing this podcast that long but I think business and life is about that disrupt yourself before someone else disrupts you you know change before the market changes and you're left in the middle of a recession or whatever and so I guess that's how it'll, it'll evolve and then all these funky things like doing a road trip or and we're, for the 300th episode, we're doing it live and we're trying to get a couple of big name guests and we'll come up with some weird and wonderful and funky ideas. I'm starting to do Q&As. I record my mentoring sessions, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I saw Ty Lopez did a debate, a hater. One day I'm going to find my biggest hater and I'm going to just let him rip at me on the podcast and, and I'm going to beat him down. I'm going to beat him down with positivity. Um, and any, look, if you're listening and you've got any ideas... Please share them in the Disruptive Entrepreneur community. Who would you like me to interview the most? I mean, so with, with the guests I'm on the fence with, so with Jake Wood, with David Icke, with John um, Chalice, you know, guess who I thought, because I love to interview those, but I've got to think, what do my listeners like to interview? It can't be the Rob show. I mean, I, I get a lot of benefit out of it. So when I'm on the fence, I'll go to the community. And um, never once have I gone to the community with a guest and it'd been anything less than 85% yes. Um, so please do suggest who you want me to interview. Suggest what kind of style of interview you want me to do. Um, and I'll do it. And any kind of content you want me to share, any problems you're having, chuck it my way. Go in the Disruptive Entrepreneur community on Facebook. Uh, and I'm game for it. Brilliant. Well, I mean, that was pretty much all my questions, Rob, unless there's any kind of no, thing that you, you want to end on. Or? No, do you want to end by doing the quote that I always end on? Would you like to do that? Do you know the quote? No, I don't know the you quote. You don't know the quote? <laughs> I don't know the no, quote. don't worry. Harry can do the quote. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. <laughs> <laughs> it was that. <laughs>